morning. It's December 1st, which means you can legitimately start singing Christmas carols um, and not be labeled a Thanksgiving hater. I didn't realize that was a thing. I found out a couple weeks ago that that's a thing, Thanksgiving hater, which means you've started celebrating Christmas and you're looking past Thanksgiving, but I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I'm taking issue with that phrase. Um, I don't think that's true. But anyway, here's a quick quiz. What is your favorite aspect of the Christmas season? The shopping? The decorating? Gathering with family and friends? The food and the extra goodies? What's the most stressful part for you? The expectations? Tight finances, trying to squeeze in an extra gift into the budget, the busyness and stress of it all. Here's, here's a shot of a melee on Black Friday. And I think a lot of people tried to avoid this this year. CNN said that it was virtually a, <laughs> literally virtually, an online shopping feast. People spent a record billion online on Thanksgiving. How about stress of decorations? I mean, it may be your favorite part, but, you know, when the little lights aren't twinkling, that that is really a bummer. Christmas is like a magnifier. It makes the good really good. It makes the hard times really hard. And so what I want to do in this message series is focus on and magnify the things that bring lasting hope and joy, the the things we celebrate at the heart of Christmas so that we can really walk through the highs and lows of the Christmas season and take a moment to slow down, think it over, and not miss what the season is all about. Basically, we're going to focus on the centrality of Jesus at Christmas. Christmas is the celebration of the birth of a Savior King that we can know personally. That's what Christmas is all about. When Jesus stepped into our world in the first century... He was born into a Jewish culture that had been waiting for a Savior King for centuries. Thousands of years. The Jewish people and their prophets had been tracking through time God's promise. From the very first moment that The first man and woman rebelled in the Garden of Eden that God had created for them, a paradise. They rebelled against him. They stepped out of sight of his boundaries. And sin entered the world in that moment. From that moment, God began to hint at his plan. You can see it looking back on it, but he he sort of hinted at his plan for redeeming the world that had fallen in that moment. God unveiled his plan over time, and it wasn't crystal clear until Jesus connected the dots for us. 
And so throughout ancient times, what God did is he, he drew close to individuals. He drew close to people. And he spoke in a very personal way to them, predicting the coming of this Savior King. In 1980 B.C., he spoke to Abraham, the father of the Jewish race, and he promised that God would bless the world through one of his, his descendants. Israel is referred to as God's chosen race, but that doesn't mean he was playing favorites by choosing them. They were chosen so that God could work through them to show the rest of the world who he is and what he's like. So they were chosen for a purpose. They were to be a tool so that God could reach through them to the rest of the world. In 1480 B.C., the Lord spoke to Moses and promised to raise up a prophet like him who would tell the world of God's character and show them his ways. And around 1000 B.C., of course, these are just highlight moments when God gave his promise. And more and more of his promise and the identity of the Savior King is revealed as he talks to the folks about it. And so he came close to David. He drew close to David, the greatest king in Israel's history. And he was promised by God that one of his offspring would reign in an eternal kingdom. Now, it's clear that God wasn't speaking of an earthly kingdom since David's line, their reign ended in 586 B.C. He was speaking of a spiritual kingdom. But... It was confusing because some of the prophecies about the Savior King made the nature of the promised kingdom unclear, that it would be spiritual, not physical. For instance, in 650 B.C., we sang a song that referred to this passage. Uh, Isaiah, the prophet, stated this, Isaiah 9-7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So that, you can see how that's a little confusing, not quite so clear, uh, whether or not it's spiritual kingdom or physical, earthly kingdom. In 500 B.C., Daniel speaks of a specially appointed deliverer, and Zechariah points to a kingly deliverer. There were 500 years of silence between the last prophecy of this king that was coming and Jesus' birth. All throughout those years, the Jewish people waited. They waited for the Savior King to appear, anticipating the one from among them who would establish God's kingdom forever. And whenever I think about how long they waited, I mean, they waited 2,000 years. And I know when I was a kid, it felt like 2,000 years until Christmas was, you know, 
going to get here when I could get those presents. And just in interest of full disclosure, I, I didn't always wait. If the presents were under the under the tree, I you know snuck a peek, put them back. I'm, I'm sure my mom could tell. Um, and then, you know, the older I got, I started looking around the house, trying to find where the okay where the presents were hidden, coming from somebody else. Many of the Jewish or many of the people in Jew, Jesus' day didn't recognize him as the Savior King. They they had been waiting for him. There was a profile and a description that was given, but many Jewish people overlooked Jesus because they were looking for an earthly king. They were looking for someone who would come and set up a kingdom here and now that would bring back the glory days of Israel. So they they missed it. That's what they were looking for. If you were focused on this world and what you can get out of it, you you missed this about Jesus. You overlooked who Jesus was. But if you were spiritually minded and were drawn to him, uh, you, you realize Jesus is the one God's promised through time. And Jesus made it clear in his teaching. He made it clear that his kingdom is spiritual, not, not earthly. At his trial before Pilate, he was asked point blank if he was the king of the Jews, and this is how he responded. John 8, 1836, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. In fact, his, his closest disciples were a little confused as well because when uh, the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter sliced off one of the ears of a soldier. So they, it wasn't totally clear, but then it became crystal clear looking back. And as Jesus said this, hey, my kingdom is not of this world. I have a spiritual kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is spiritual, and you enter it when you decide to make him your king. You, you give him the leadership over your life, and he begins to reign in your own heart and your life, and he begins to call the shots about how you handle the life he's given you. That's when... You enter into the kingdom, and it's it's spiritual, but it is a deep. There's a deep reality to what you experience when you step into the kingdom of God. If you don't know Jesus personally, the the Christmas season is is a real opportunity to seek Him, to get to know Him. You can connect with Him. Even thousands of years after he lived, died, and raised from the dead. But as we look back on history, the birth of Jesus brought a brand new perspective to the people who encountered him. God took the initiative in these encounters, 
That's, that's what he does. He's been pursuing us. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus stepped into our world so that we could connect with him. He took the initiative. God himself took the initiative. And in, in these encounters that we're going to look at in a moment, you see that he gave people the opportunity to personally know him. And he still takes the initiative so that each of us have the opportunity to personally encounter Jesus and the difference that he can make in our lives. You see, Christmas is an opportunity to fo- fully focus on who really matters. In a manger scene, there are typically three groups of people. Here's a picture of a nativity that we have around our house. That It's not out yet. We're, I, think, I think the key, you probably be out in the next few days. We're working on it, I think today, maybe. We'll see. My job's just to get the tree out and set it up, and then everything else happens. It's awesome. <laughs> um, but anyway, in, in a manger scene, there are typically three groups of people. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, the shepherds, and the wise men. Now, in the original story, in the history... They weren't all there at the same time, but it represents these three groups of people. This is, like I said, a nativity we have at our, our, our house. Um, and what happened is, in the first century, God sent a personal message to each of these people, to each of these individuals. And he gave them a personal invitation to be involved in what he's doing in the world through Jesus' birth. He appears, first of all, to Mary, a Jewish teenager who would give birth to the Savior King. Then he sends a messenger to some, an angel messenger, to some shepherds in a field nearby. And these were blue-collar Jewish men. They were really close, out watching their flocks. God sends an angel to them, lets them know where Jesus is. A third group were magi from the east, not from the Jewish culture. And they represent the rest of the world that God wants to get to through the Jewish people. That's, that's very clear. Each of these show that God wants us to know him in a personal way. And he wants us to focus our worship on him. There's a lot going on during the holiday season, during Christmas time. Yet, what if in the middle of everything we made time to honor and thank him for the gift of Jesus? That's that's what we're doing today. But what if every day we began to focus on who he is and the difference he makes? What if we decided to rethink Christmas by making a commitment to worship fully? Here's what we can learn from these different personal encounters about what that would look like as he encounters these three groups in the nativity scene. To worship fully, first of all, means I'm fully available to be used by God. The birth of Jesus was foretold to Mary by the angel Gabriel. And as you 
can imagine this was a tremendous surprise because she was a virgin. However, an angel appeared to her to tell her that she would conceive Jesus, the Son of God. And the angel assured her of God's plan and Notice her response here in Luke 1, 37 and 38. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Notice the posture that Mary took here. She could have asked hundreds of more questions so that she could try to figure out everything herself. She could have fled. But instead, she made herself fully available to be used by God in that moment in her life, whatever it meant. This is what a servant does. They take a lower position, and they do what's needed to please the master. Here Mary states she is willing to do whatever is needed to be a part of God's plan, even if it brings shame on her, because it would. This is a key part of worshiping fully. Trusting God to do what he says and putting your focus completely on him. Next, as she visits her cousin Elizabeth, she breaks into praise. Luke 1, 46 through 49 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and Holy is his name. This section of this passage in Luke 1 is called the Magnificat. In the Latin language, that opening word that she uses about her soul glorifying God, magnifies, is the word Magnificat, which means to glory, to to. Magnify God while minimizing yourself. That's what she does. She magnifies God. She realizes this is all about him. The Christmas celebration is all about God and what he has done to get our attention. How he has pursued us and taken the initiative to know us and give us the opportunity for us to know him personally. Mary sets the example on how to worship fully. We make ourselves fully available to do what God has for us to do, and we're willing to obey even if it's not what we thought or predicted. Now, there are going to be a lot of twists and turns this Christmas in your own life and mine. Um, We'll have surprises. Things aren't going to go like we expected. And it honors God to respond by thinking through in that moment of the twist and turn, what does God, how does God want me to respond? What would honor him? 
What would please him in this? So to worship fully means we become fully available to be used by God in the moment. It also means that we become fully present. An angel of the Lord appeared to a group of shepherds as well to announce that Jesus was born. Now, here are some ordinary guys, blue-collar guys, doing their work in the fields. They're just doing their jobs, trying to make ends meet when, boom, an angel appears in the sky and it lights up with the glory of God. And check this out. This is what it, what it says. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now these shepherds knew the skies. They gazed at them every night, tending their flocks. But on this night, it was anything but ordinary. And the angel appears, and they're filled with fear, like I would have been. That makes sense to me. Hey, out of the blue, this being appears. But there's an important lesson here. It's a crucial piece of the story. God was getting the attention of the shepherds through this event. He was calling out to them. He was inviting them to be involved in what he's doing in the world. God made this group of ordinary people a part of Christ's birth forever, the most extraordinary event ever. Yet, their initial reaction was fear. God tries to get our attention as well. And he tries to get our attention through our fears, our frustrations. He, he tries to call us back to him. He wants to get our attention so we'll choose to follow and trust him. He gets our attention so we'll step out in faith and worship him fully by obeying him completely. So the shepherds moved past their fears to be fully present to meet just Jesus. Here's, here's what they did. Luke 2. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. All and all who heard it wondered. At what the shepherds told them. I read this as they get the message. The angel appears and they say, let's go. Let's do this. Let's go be where the action is. We, we don't have time to waste. They were fully present in the here and now and were able to respond to God. I mean, they're, they're at work. They're just moving along. God sends a message. And boom, they drop it and they, they go do what God wants. They, they go worship the king, the savior king that had been promised. And this is where God meets you and I. He, he meets us not in the past, not in the future. That's impossible. He meets us in the here and now, right here 
in this moment, in working through this problem, in dealing with this friction in a relationship, in trying to help others, in this moment, he meets us. And we can invite him in to help us with the problems that we're dealing with, with the friction in our relationships. And we can, we can do it his way. So to worship fully means to be fully available like Mary and fully present like the shepherds. It also means to be fully invested. The magi, or they become known as the wise men, uh, they are also a key part of the Christmas story, and they're always in the nativity scenes that we put together. But the Magi, they were scholars and advisors. They were like modern-day astronomers and cosmologists. They had been studying the heavens because the scriptures said the Messiah is coming. And they weren't, they weren't Jewish. They didn't study, uh, they didn't natively study the Jewish scriptures, but the word had been passed through the world and everybody had heard that this Savior King is coming. And so they began to study the, the scriptures. Specifically, they read that a star would mark the time and place of his birth. As Jesus was born, a star appeared in the sky, and the Magi knew something tremendous had happened. And they knew that the coming Savior King had appeared. He'd been born, and that began to spread throughout the world. But as they were trying to get information about where he was, they ran across King Herod, who was a, a tetrarch of that area under Rome. They ran across him. He was ruthless. He had begun to look for, he'd heard the, the, the stories that the, the Savior King had been born, and he was trying to, um, he was trying to find out where that baby was so that he could take out the threat to his own throne. So the Magi crossed paths with Herod, and they told him to report back as soon as they find out where the baby is, and they didn't end up doing that. Um, however, the Magi, when they found the baby, were fully invested in worship of him. Check this out, Matthew two ten through 12. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. These magi worshipped fully by being fully invested. They they didn't let the travel time deter them. It was a long journey. They didn't let the threat of a crazy king deter them. Instead, they came and worshipped the Savior and offered their treasures to him. They took their time. 
and their treasure, and they offered it to him. Christmas is the celebration of the birth of a Savior King we can know personally. And here are some ways that we can get to know him better and more personally this Christmas. Like Mary, make yourself fully available. These are my suggestions. Maybe it's time to do something God has put on your heart to do in faith. Restore a relationship. Share your faith with someone and invite them to a worship service or to the Christmas service. To move away from a harmful habit. Like the shepherds, be fully present. Take some time each morning to read the Bible and worship privately. If you'd like, we'll email you a devotional. It's on the back of your listening guide, uh, the link to it. But we'll email you a link to the devotional that you can do online. This could help you worship fully this Christmas season. In a devotional I just read, I found this quote. You must never let your enthusiasm for the gift replace your worship of and surface for the giver. So we tend to focus on, you know, what we get out of the birth of Jesus Christ. And that's, we can be grateful for that. That's good. But we want to turn and worship the one who gave the gift, the giver of the gift. Like the Magi, we can be fully invested with our time, our talents, and our treasures. We can give them away. Now may be the time for you to commit your life to Christ if you've been investigating what it means to follow him. This may be the time, this season. To worship fully means to bend your knee and give your life to him, to follow him as Lord and as boss. If you've never done this, you can let us know on the next step here on the connection card. I'd like you to consider these next steps if you would. Here are my suggestions. My next step today is to commit myself to follow Christ as Lord and accept his free gift of eternal life for the very first time. And then another step, read the Christmas worship devotions this season. There's the link. But if you write devotion under sign me up, if you write devotion on the back of your connection card, we'll send you the link. And you can just click it and go right to the, the, the uh, devotional plan there. You may need to sign up for a version Bible program, but uh, it's there. It's, it's good. It's got, the, the cool thing about this one is it's got songs that you can sing that go with the, the message of the devotion. So I try not to let people hear me when I sing, but I do sing privately. Um, sometimes my family hears me, but you know that they love me anyway. Um, and then finally, attend CIV throughout the Christmas season and invite others to join me. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to step into our world so that we could have eternal life. We thank you, God, for your provision, your grace, and your kindness in this. Thank you that you didn't give up on us, but that you you set your heart to make a way for us to know you personally.
Thank you, God. Help us to step out and do what you've laid on our heart to do today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.